The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Nicholas Disposito, both of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency and Father, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Hello. Well, His Excellency wanted me to remind our listeners that today may be the shortest and dullest Francis Watch ever, uh, but it is to be expected because we're covering the month of August, which not only in Italy, but in many parts of Europe is the do-nothing month as people leave for the mountains and the ocean. And yet, Francis still did manage to eke out a few things here and there. So there's a few things for us to talk about. But we're going to headline today's discussion with uh, the topic of the alleged canonization of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And I want to divide this into two portions. First, I'd like His Excellency to discuss the matter of canonizations as it relates to the magisterium and infallibility. And then I'd like Father Disposito to talk about some of the reasons why it's just an impossibility that this woman would be a saint of the Catholic Church. So Your Excellency, can you, can you start by talking about how canonizations are viewed by Catholics in regards to uh, whether they, they can be fallible? Well, the church has never declared on the issue, to my knowledge, but it is a question of how theologians see it. Uh, the, uh, there are three positions concerning the infallibility of the church and the canonization of saints among the theologians. The first is that the church can err, absolutely speaking, in the canonization of saints, but at the same time, these theologians teach that it would be rash to assert that in fact the church has erred in these definitive judgments. So they have a reservation on that. The second position is uh, that the church is infallible in canonizing saints, and can, this cannot be denied without heresy. That is the uh, position of Valencia, who is a very, very respected Thomas theologian. And the third position is that of Melchior Canus, who is also a, a great Thomas theologian, who said this, those who withdraw faith from the church in these things, we think are not heretics, but indeed are rash, imprudent, and irreligious. So he doesn't go so far as to say that it is um, 
uh, heresy, but he says all of these other things, and Benedict the Fourteenth approved this third position. Uh, in uh, uh, so that that's the uh, the position of theologians, the church, and that and he approved that you know that that uh, it's not heresy, but it is rash, imprudent, and irreligious. Uh, the uh, arguments in favor of its be the church's being infallible uh, is first of all this that the church cannot err in determining those things which pertain to the profession of faith but as saint thomas says the honor which we pay to the saints is a certain profession of faith by which we believe in the glory of the saints so St. Thomas develops the argument in this way, and this is a quote from St. Thomas, just as we are bound to believe that which is in sacred scripture, so we are bound to believe what is determined commonly by the church. For this reason, he is judged to be a heretic who thinks against the determination of the councils. Therefore, the common judgment of the church cannot be erroneous Thus it is the same as I said before, namely, and he, this is a quote, the church, that the church in such things, referring to the canonization of saints, cannot err. So St. Thomas Aquinas places it in the category of heresy. All right? and, uh, and that does not in any way conflict with Benedict XIV because Benedict XIV was not necessarily excluding heresy. He was just saying, I, I approve of this position, the, of those, and those, you can hold this position that it's not heresy, but St. Thomas holds that it's heresy to, to deny the, uh, the, uh, that a saint is truly canonized. Uh, the second argument in, in favor of infallibility of canonization of saints is that the church cannot err in handing over a common rule of morals. See, so the church cannot say to you, for example, that adultery is okay and that you can commit adultery and receive Holy Communion. See, we've made that point with Bergoglio before, that you cannot associate that error with the Catholic Church. So that the, um, the, uh, the law of Christian life in a canonized saint is proposed as in the example in the operations and passions of men in which experience counts a great deal examples move more than words and that's saint thomas aquinas who said this so <clears throat> so the point is that the church cannot propose to the faithful an evil person to imitate because that would be contrary to its role as proposing a common uh, rule of morals. You see, so uh, the, um, for, for example, uh, Leo, Pope Leo X said concerning the cause of St. Francis of Paola that, quote, it was a thing which touches the divine majesty and pertains forever to the worship of the universal church, unquote. That's a very strong statement that it pertains forever. That means it can never be undone. St. Thomas Aquinas also says, 
Quote, in the church there cannot be an error worthy of condemnation, but it would be an error worthy of condemnation if a sinner were venerated as if he were a saint, because some, aware of his sins, would believe this to be false, and so it would happen that they could be led into error. Therefore the church in such things is not able to err, unquote. See, so he ties it to the infallibility of the church itself in setting moral rules that the church cannot mislead the, the faithful in, uh, in, what, in questions of morality. And then there's a third argument for the infallibility, and that is that if the church could err in the canonization of saints, then the entire worship of the saints could be called into question. Then, then who survives? The whole calendar could be thrown out. For if you admit a doubt concerning a saint who has been duly canonized, then the sanctity of all the other saints can be called into question. And furthermore, if it were possible that the church could err in the canonization of saints, it could happen that the church could canonize someone who is burning in hell and that people would be praying to a soul that's burning in hell. I mean, it, it just, so the, the fact that those things could be possible is an indirect argument for infallibility, that you could actually be, be praying to a damned soul for favors from God. So all of those things pertain to infallibility, but the church never came out and said it's heresy, but you heard what I said about these other um, saints. Well, some people, might, some people might say, Your Excellency, well, you know, St. Thomas was wrong on the Immaculate Conception, Your Excellency, so maybe he's wrong on this one too. Well, actually, he was not wrong on the Immaculate Conception because he rejected it as it was proposed. So did St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So did St. Bonaventure. You, you, you don't usually hear that. They all rejected it because it was proposed in an unorthodox manner. And they just did not think of the solution that was thought of by John Duns Scotus. They just, it never occurred to them. But if they had thought of that solution, they certainly would have uh, assented to it. But no, St. Thomas Aquinas is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. But you can see from these arguments that to deny the infallibility of the church in these matters is something that is, is tantamount to heresy. Because you are saying that the church could lead us into error in moral doctrine. And, and that's contrary to the infallibility of the church. Uh, Saint, uh, rather, Pope John XXII uh, when he was investigating the sanctity of St. Thomas Aquinas, affirmed uh, that it must be done with great maturity because, quote, it concerns such a great business of faith. See, so, you know, how you could go out on the limb and say, oh, well, you know, who cares about Mother Teresa? It's, you know, we reject that. You run into some very, very serious problems concerning the very nature of the Catholic Church and, and its infallibility. And, and why can't we reject St. Thomas? Why can't we reject, uh, you know, St. Pius X? Maybe he had problems too. And if you don't reject him, maybe the modernists do. Uh, John the Twenty Third rejected him. 
he said to a, an in, interviewer once, he's no saint. And this interviewer was an atheist, and he said, well, excuse me, Your Holiness, but we did not make him one. <laughs> so that, that's the, the, uh, essentially the, the uh, reasoning and all of that. So, Father, would you like to walk us through uh, the issues with uh, Teresa of Calcutta? Uh, well, I mean, I think um, most of us who know a little bit about tradition will agree that she was not a saint, according to the uh, traditional um, I would say way of, of holiness, which is, of course, starts with, with the faith and, and charity, which is first the love of God and then of the neighbor. What people know, I will say, um, what everybody out there knows about her is her devotion towards the poor and what she did in order to basically fight against poverty and against the material needs of people in India. But what people in the world, or they, they don't know too much, is about what she believed um, and her faith and what she preached and what she did. Uh, that was basically the religion of Vatican II. So any little research done about her uh, shows very clearly that she had accepted all of the ideas of Vatican II regarding religious liberty, ecumenism, uh, that there is salvation outside the church, uh, basically that God uh, loves anyone without any consideration of your religion, and that you have to follow your conscience and the religion you think is true. Um, all of those things that we all know that that are heretical and wrong, and uh, she not only believed that those things, but she actually put those things into. I mean, that was her practice. Her apostolate was to bring this. I mean, help people, people, but not in the. Uh, I would say not in, this, in a supernatural manner of helping people to convert to the faith and to make sure that they go to heaven. So she didn't care, again, uh, the, what religion the people were and uh, let them die in their errors without uh, preaching to them the, the true gospel. And if you go, for example, just to Amazon and look for books about her or her own writings, you will find that, many, many interesting things. I mean, again, just with a, a little research, uh, the whole thing comes to light. There is a book of her writings. Um, it's called Mother Teresa, Come, uh, Come Be My Light. And the quote that the author, it's all her writings, right? And the, the quote that, I, that begins the book is, if I ever become a saint... I will surely be one of darkness. <laughs> I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness on earth. And even that book explains that in the beginning, I mean, what she meant by darkness, she suffered um, f uh, a lot from lack of consolations. This is long before the Vatican, Second Vatican Council. Already she had a crisis that people tried to interpret as the night of the, the senses, which is uh, um, the stage in the spiritual life uh, that you go through from the purgative to the illuminative life, uh, life uh, in the spiritual life. But the thing is, which is interesting, that she, after that crisis, in the, like in the middle, in the, in the 40s, 
uh, having that crisis of darkness and like no faith, no consolation and darkness of faith, etc., she started receiving some locutions from from our Lord, supposedly, right? And that was uh, obeying to that those locutions is that she went and to India. She uh, was from Al- Albania, so. Uh, the whole thing, I mean, <laughs> just with those, that will be enough just to at least study. I mean, you are in the Vatican and if, if the Vatican were serious and if they were Catholics, they will say, okay, wait a minute here. There is some, uh, some things that we need to, <laughs> to see, uh, to study. Uh, the, the strange things about her life and the, what is more obvious is that she is a saint of ecumenism, a saint of religious liberty. And she believed all the things that Francis preaches, and they are very similar, both of them, in the the lack of basically the, the the denial of the Catholic faith, apostasy from all religions, because for them uh, Christianity is just one more thing, and you can call God Jesus or Brahma or whatever Allah, and this is a, a apostasy from all religions, and our Lord, uh, they call Jesus, they, um, becomes an instrument uh, for preaching this religion religion of uh, philanthropy and when man is the center, as Bergoglio said uh, a few days ago, uh, that each may contribute to the common good and to the building of a society that places the human person at the center. So that's the whole point of both Mother Teresa, John Paul II, uh, Francis, all the, the, all the modernists of Vatican II, the, the human person at the center, God, I mean, you name God whenever it's necessary for your, um, as an instrument for glorifying man. And the Francis very clearly says that Mother Teresa should be a model for all the those sort of religious, a model of holiness. May she be a, your model of holiness. That's in the speech of the canonization. And again, uh, she, he says, may this tireless worker of mercy help us to increasingly understand that our only criterion for action is gratuitous love, free from every ideology and all obligations offered freely to everyone without distinction of language, culture, race, or, re- or religion. Again, yes, it's true we have to love everyone and even our enemies, as our Lord says, but of course the, the, the point of the Catholic Church is to convert the world to Christ and to the gospel and, and to the truth, not to accept everyone in their own false religions and to tell them that everything is okay and ever, everybody goes to heaven. So. What was very disturbing was that thing probably you read in one of the articles about how they people dying that were not Catholics, they will ask them, do you want basically to all your sins to be forgiven? forgiven? And of course, who is going to say no? <laughs> I mean, they say yes. So, so they put like a towel, a wet towel in their faces, and they say secretly, like uh, in, without them noticing, the words of baptism, basically like deceiving them and, uh, baptizing them without their knowledge, which again, following all the traditional rules, that is at least is doubtful or invalid. And also adults that will need the faith before uh, before being baptized and being uh, instructed in the faith, etc. Uh, they they basically they didn't ask for that, just if they wanted to basically be saved. And who is going to say no? But they didn't uh, ask them to convert to the Catholic faith for baptism. And the baptism itself was doubtful or invalid. 
So that, that's the, the, I mean, if that's a saint, I mean, that's, uh, I think it's very obvious for anyone who calls himself traditionalist that she's very far from uh, true holiness. Well, I think we should uh, just read some of her quotes. Quote, if in coming face to face with God, we accept him in our lives, then we are converting. We become a better Hindu, a better Muslim, a better Catholic, a better whatever we are. And then by being better, we come closer and closer to him. What God is in your mind, you must accept. Unquote. Quote, all is God. Buddhists, Hindus, Christians, etc., all have access to the same God. Unquote. Quote, I love all religions. If people become better Hindus, better Muslims, better Buddhists by our acts of love, then there is something else growing there, unquote. Uh, and uh, to the question, do you convert people? She replied, quote, of course I convert. I convert you to be a better Hindu or a better Muslim or a better Protestant. Once you've found God, it's up to you to decide how to worship him, unquote. Quote, we have never tried to convert our patients to Christian Christianity. The essential is that they meet God through their own religion, no matter what it is. What saves is faith in God. It does not matter from what point of view one arrives to him, unquote. I think that says it all. This is the perfect saint for Bergoglio because she says that doctrine does not matter and that the only thing that matters is that we love. And the way she showed her love was by helping the poor. This is the saint of saints for Bergoglio. I mean, he could have said all of these things very easily. And uh, so... Again, this, this flies in the face of the Catholic faith because there is no sanctification without the true faith. And this, these quotations that she has are, uh, are indications that she does not have the Catholic faith because she thinks that all religions are ways to God and that all religions are equal. That is contrary to the Catholic faith. It is a heresy. So she has lost the faith Therefore, she is incapable of any supernatural sanctity. She was capable of doing good works, but only natural good works. You know, if, a, if an atheist helps someone, if he's an atheist doctor and he heals someone, that's a good work, but it doesn't count in the order of salvation. It's a worthless act in the order of salvation. So also, she was. I'm sure she did some good works in helping people but it was all worthless in the order of salvation because she lacked the faith. The faith is the first step towards sanctification. And once you have given up the true faith, then you are in a far worse state than when you began. I was thinking about all those quotes you were reading, Your Excellency, and I thought they, would, they came out of a little book of horrors, but I, I realized that they might form part of a devotional book for Bergoglio. So maybe you could send those you could send those quotes to him, and he could put it together. And and when he says his prayers to Mother Teresa, he can think of those devotional quotes. Yes, yes, he's she is the saint of saints for him. 
these are these are really the saints of Vatican II, right, Your Excellency? We we have to canonize JP II, soon JP one, John the twenty third, Mother Teresa. This new religion needs its new canon of saints. Yes, yes, they they were sorely lacking in it. All of the canonizations that they did were pre-Vatican II people, and and they, uh, you know, the the Vatican II is a sick baby because it's producing all of these ill effects throughout the whole world. And so they have to uh, shore it up by means of sanctify by uh, canonization. So all of these people that cooked up Vatican II and imposed all of these changes, which are destroying the the faith everywhere and have destroyed to to the more than the Reformation did or any other crisis in the church, have destroyed everything. These people are the great saints of the church. <laughs> We're supposed to believe this. You know, that, that it's like Hiroshima has hit and the people who dropped the bomb are saints. We're going to canonize the saints who dropped the bomb on the Catholic Church. I mean, this is so absurd that it defies you know, anybody that could truly believe this. Uh, I think is out of contact with reality. I, I think too, Your Your Excellency, I do want to bring up the point of Santo Subito because... Uh, in a certain way, we we as uh, Catholics don't mind Santo Subito if it's for someone like St. Pius X because he was quite Santo Subito. And I almost see it as providential because it was in the final years of Pius XII's reign. There was no way that Pius X gets canonized after 1958. Um, so can you give us a little bit of context? What's the church's normal attitude about Santo Subito? Why does she take a, a sort of reasonable distance? Why was it good that I suppose it was it – was, somewhat uh, speeded up for uh, St. Pius X? Well, the, the church would always be uh, abhorrent of a sa santo subito uh, be because of emotion and, you know, it's just like a lynch mob in reverse. <laughs> See? Uh, you know, the old westerns where they're going to lynch somebody. It's a lynch mob in reverse. Uh, people might become emotionally attached to someone who is not very good, as, for example, John the Twenty-Third, uh, good Pope John, and all of that stuff. Uh, and they might become detached from somebody who is very good, like Saint Pius V. He he was not probably someone who was jolly and <laughs> really popular among the masses. <laughs> uh, he, but he was a saint. And uh, so they, they want to wait out all of the enthusiasm. Uh, they want to wait for uh, people to, uh, to mature in their judgment of him. I mean, you, popes make enemies, popes make friends. Uh, it, the, it, it's, it's too soon after someone dies, especially a pope, to uh, canonize someone. It's just too soon. Uh, and they they want all of the evidence to be collected in a very, very calm way so that it can be reviewed. Now, 50 years is, the, I think, the normal time to wait for someone to be canonized. And Pius XII speeded it up for St. Pius X. There are a number of quotes of Pius XII which amount to après moi le déluge. Uh, I think he realized that he was too weak to stop the modernism, that it was already a tidal wave 
coming in and that he just didn't have it in him to stop it. And I really do think that the canonization of Pius X was his way of saying this great anti-modernist was a saint. That canonization irritated so many people. They marched into the, into the Vatican complaining about all of the horrid things that Pius X did against the modernists, one after the other. They, they, uh, and there were the, that's when the, the famous quote came out, the famous quotation where he said the modernists should be beaten with fists. That was said against him, you see, and against his canonization. And that uh, when you're having a fight with somebody, you don't count the number of blows that you give him, but you strike him wherever you can. That's the quote from St. Pius X to a bishop who was telling him that you're going too hard on the modernists. You see, so, uh, uh, so he, but despite all of that, he canonized St. Pius X. And that was a message to the modernists. That was a mes message to the, the new theology people and all of the people who were already plotting Vatican II. Uh, that this man was a saint. Uh, it, it, the people at the time, the average layperson at the time, didn't understand it. But it was a very strong message to the clergy. And everybody understood it, that he was a, a, a great saint. Because the, the greatest and most important activity of his pontificate was the repression of modernism. I mean, he did many other things. But the greatest, uh, uh, and what he would consider the greatest uh, of his actions was the repression of modernism. He, he was filled with horror of the modernists and, and he did everything in his power to repress them. And um, uh, so uh, I think that that's, uh, so he, um, Pius XII made an exception in his case and, and promoted his canonization before the 50 year period. Well, we're, I'm very glad that he did. Uh, your Excellency, so we have him as this uh, shining example for us. Yes, it's very important that we do, so that he's not just another one in the series of popes who, well, you know, he didn't like modernism or he didn't like the new theology too much and, you know, he reacted against it. When you put him on the altar as a saint, that means all of his actions were well taken. Father, would you like to add anything before we move on uh, from Teresa of Calcutta? <clears throat> well, just a question because I couldn't find anything about what the society, Sapaisa Tenth, has said about the canonization, if anybody knows. It might be the moratorium period, uh, uh, Father, that uh, in this year of mercy that they are showing mercy to, to Francis as well by keeping their mouths shut. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, you know, during the no the Rosary Crusade, they've uh, been told not to not to say anything. So there may I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of a statement, but you're right. I'm surprised that we didn't see a statement come out because they usually did when, when JP2 and John the 23rd uh, did. They, they made sure they had something, but, but not this time. Uh, I want to move on to the rest of uh, Francis Watch, as, as I said, and, and as His Excellency wants to reiterate, this will be a very dull and boring and short Francis Watch. Um, but it won't be dull when there is a, a new work of mercy, uh, Your Excellency, The Care of Creation. Uh, what, did, did you read about this? Yes, you know, it, it's another Bergoglio piece of garbage. I mean, that's all you could say about it. He, he's a communist. And he has made a religion out of, out of the 
the themes of communism, and that is uh, helping the poor, which is essentially socialism. Uh, another word for that is socialism. And now uh, uh, keeping the earth intact uh, as a goal of religion. Yeah, again, it's not contrary to reason that we should take care of the earth. <laughs> we should not throw harmful chemicals into streams, obviously. You know, anybody with a brain can figure that out. But to place it on the level of religion, uh, as if this is some worldwide goal that, that God wills, as if the, the earth is some sort of a, a sacred being or a goddess or something, uh, is is the problem? So you know the eighth. The, it, it, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just not worth even thinking about. It's so stupid. Uh, I, I I don't know if you had a chance to see the. Uh, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. But but Novus Ordo Watch um, managed to get a picture and they colored uh, Francis's cassock green, yes. which I thought was great. But but even better than that, they put together a stained glass window and Bergoglio is holding up one of those curly Q light bulbs and in the different corners of the stained glass you have uh, windmills and uh, and oil, oil derricks and that sort yes. of thing so yes. I thought that was pretty great yes 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 yeah they did a, a great job yeah it's uh, it's just a, a, another it, it, there's a there was a wonderful book that came out around 1905. It's called The Anti-Christian Conspiracy in English. Uh, it's a book in French and was never translated. But in it, this priest, Monsignor de la Sousse, who was a very strong anti-modernist, he said that the goal of the enemies of the church is to create a dogmaless humanitarian Christianity. And that's exactly what Bergoglio's doing. You know, the abandoning dogma and at the same time giving us new dogmas of socialism, communism, and now the helping the earth and, and who knows what else is going to come down the pike. Uh, it, it, dissolving Catholic morality, replacing it with immorality, uh, getting everybody together on the basis of whatever. That that's um, that, that's his goal, and and as he said, the others before him did not have the humility. Remember that to 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 implement Vatican II. But I have the humility to implement Vatican II. Remember that quote when he it was just elected. I have the humility and the ambition. Yes, and he has done it. This is Vatican II. This is the purpose of Vatican II. And, and so I think that should be seen and recognized in him, uh, that the others were holding back and they just gave us really a little bit of Vatican II, but we are seeing Vatican II in all of its ugly nakedness with Bergoglio. Uh, in philosophy, we study that the, you have living things and non-living things, right? The inanimate things which are, don't have a soul and in living things you have the vegetative life you have the sensitive life and the rational life. And um, there are some errors uh, concerning that. Today, there is one error. I don't know if this is related to the new age or some weird philosophy that says that there is no distinction that all beings are rational. So that the earth itself, uh, what we call the planet earth, is a rational being and has... Basically, I mean, intelligence, etc. And this sounds crazy, right? But 
when you read the Francis speaking about uh, mercy towards the world as a, as a work of mercy, if the traditional works of mercy always have a, a, as a, an object a human being, a rational being. Either you uh, instruct the uh, the ignorant or you admonish the sinner, uh, counsel the doubtful, etc. And in the corporal works of mercy, the same. You feed the hungry, the give drink to the thirsty. So it's always like a human person as an object of the of the work of mercy, it doesn't matter if it's spiritual or corporal work of mercy. Here, he takes this um, care for our common home as both a work of mercy and a, uh, of this, a spiritual and corporal. So he says, as a spiritual work of mercy, care for our common home calls for a grateful contemplation of God's world, etc. And um, as a Corporate work of mercy, care for our common home, requires simple daily gestures which break with the logic of violence, exploitation, of unselfishness, etc. I mean, if you understand this strictly, almost he, I mean, either he considers the planet again as an object of mercy in the, in the same sense of the traditional works of mercy, that we have to be merciful with Earth as because it, Earth has some dignity and suffers and has a liberty or whatever. And, or, I mean, it's nonsense. doesn't make any sense um, how he manages to put this as a work of mercy. How you can have mercy towards an inanimate uh, object, a planet. So it's really uh, weird. So, but the, those who say that the planet is a, a, a living, rational thing, those exist. So people should understand that this is not a, an error that is not common today. So. The second thing I want to talk about is the creation of a new dicastery, uh, which came from a motu proprio uh, from last month. And it's the dicastery for promoting integral human development. It will be competent in issues regarding migrants, those in need, the sick, the excluded and marginalized, the imprisoned and unemployed, as well as victims of armed conflict, natural disasters, and all forms of slavery and torture. Well, apparently, uh, Your Excellency, uh, the church has never cared about those in need, the sick, the imprisoned, uh, and uh, those in slavery or torture. I mean, you'd think uh, there were never orders of ransoms. No, uh, no, these people think that all the church ever did was uh, say prayers in a sacristy and uh, let everybody else die on the street. And, and you know, of course, it arises from ignorance and prejudice concerning pre-Vatican II. Uh, you don't need a dicastery for, well, first of all, you know, who knows what they're going to do? We Don't we have the UN? Don't these people, you know, what's the purpose of that building in New York? Uh, I think that's, you know, they're supposed to help people that are in trouble. But, I mean, what is the Vatican going to do? Is it going to airdrop uh, food and whatnot to these people? Is it going to get a fleet of, of huge aircraft and send them into places that are... <laughs> what are they supposed to do? <laughs> you know, it's just another endless uh, multiplication of the Vatican bureaucracy. And, you know, everybody's... Like all bureaucracies, they cost money. Now, how are they going to help people in natural disasters? Suppose that there is a, uh, a tidal wave in Indonesia. Is the Vatican going to, from its airport, 
you know, in St. Peter's Square, uh, send out huge aircraft to drop food to those people? I mean, what is it going to do? You know, uh, how is it going to stop slavery and torture? <laughs> is it going to raise an army to free these people? I mean, what are they talking about? You know, doesn't the, the Catholic Church always uh, 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 operated hospitals and orphanages and all sorts of other ways to help the poor? Why do we need this dicastery as if, you know, this is some sort of new thing that the Catholic Church would do? Why do you need it in Rome? What can Rome do for these things? Well, I mean, maybe he could open up a homeless shelter in the Apostolic Palace, you know, and you could put some migrants in there. I mean, I don't think he's using all of the apartments. Well, well, they generously, if you recall, uh, uh, consented to take two families of the one million or so that were entering into Europe. Do you remember that? That he said every parish, yes, every parish has to take one family and the Vatican will take two. <laughs> I remember that distinctly. The Vatican. Why do you need a dicastery to take in two families? We could take in two families here in Brooksville. <laughs> you know, the, 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 it's just an absurdity. And it's like a, uh, um, uh, it's, it, it just, you know, don't get me started. They, they uh, so, you know, the whole thing is, is a joke. That's, that's the only way to put it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all talk, as Bishop Samuel said. They don't do anything, just talk. I mean, one thing will be that they, I mean, at least Mother Ter Ter Teresa, I mean, at least she went there to India. I mean, with all the, yes, it's natural virtue and it's all wrong. I mean, she's no saint, but at least she went there and helped. Uh, but for example, uh, recently there was the Olympics in Brazil. Uh, Brazil uh, spent 200, uh, $240 billion for the Olympics, and Brazil has 20 million people in extreme poverty. Francis, instead of saying why Brazil didn't use this money for the poor, he did a, a video uh, about sports. So, I mean, it's all, it's, it's very ironic, and there's a lot of hypocrisy. I mean, they don't it's just all talk. It's just for the for the media and for people. The uh, next uh, piece that I'd like to discuss is the uh, video message that uh, Francis sent. He loves to do this. He loves to record video messages and send them around the world. He's even got his own recording studio for the the, the monthly videos. He's trying to he's trying to rival Father Chicada. That's what it is, Your Excellency. And uh, he sent something to the Sixth World Conference against the death penalty in Oslo, Norway. And what I'm going to do here, Your Excellency, when you can't take it anymore, just tell me to stop reading, and then you can comment on on what on what I'm saying because I'm worried I might say I might read too much, and you you'll you'll want me to stop so you can comment. So uh, he starts. I greet the organizers of this World Congress against the death penalty. The group of countries supporting it, particularly Norway as its host country and all those representative of governments, international organizations and civil society taking part in it. I likewise express my personal appreciation along with that of men and women of goodwill for your commitment well, to a world. I mean, it's very, it's very sim simple. The death penalty is something that is uh, defended by all Catholic moral theologians. It's found in sacred scripture. Moses put to death 23,000 people uh, at the command of God for believing the wrong religion. He cut them down with swords. Uh, and the, uh, 
So uh, his own tribe of Levi, that's in sacred scripture, for believing the wrong religion, for having worshiped the golden calf. And so, uh, you know, to to uh, well, Your Excellency, I mean that that's that that's the Old Testament. You know that that's you know that's the that that's a that's the harsh that's the harsh way of looking at things. He says here, it is an offense to the inviolability of life and to the dignity of the human person. It likewise contradicts God's plan for individuals and society and His merciful justice. No, not true. The commandment "Thou shalt not kill" has absolute value and applies both to the innocent and to the guilty. No, it's just I mean that that the the moral theologians have always defended by reason the right of states to put to death uh, serious criminals uh, because they have a the right to cut off a member uh, by analogy if it will affect the whole body just as you would cut off your gangrenous arm if in order to live so that that is the reasoning behind it and it's supported by sacred scripture I mean, I don't have the quotes in front of me, but it's supported by sacred scripture. And I mean, all you have to do is look at Catholic moral theology and the, the uh, also, for example, Leo X condemned the proposition that it is wrong to burn heretics. That was in the, the condemnation of Luther. So that means that the church has already condemned what he's saying. See, he's proposing a condemned proposition that it's wrong to uh, kill people for a serious crime. So, he, but we already know that he's condemned. I mean, he's just condemnation with a capital C. And, you know, so this is just one more condemned doctrine that he's promulgating, that's all. And it's, it's humanistic. You see that it, it's based on a... Uh, it's like animal rights, and it's all humanistic. Uh, the uh, it's not. It's a purely materialistic way of looking at human life. Yet at the same time, you know, he has nuns that are in favor of abortion. You know, we've seen that for decades, where these nuns are in favor of abortion. He also has. He's in, in charge of a religion where 80 to 90% of the people believe in artificial birth control. <laughs> Who is he? How many people are put to death in a year when all of these people by artificial birth control are being snuffed out of life, many of them with uh, uh, abortion-causing uh, birth control pills, and that he has nuns and even priests who are in favor of abortion. And there's so-called Catholic politicians in favor of abortion. What is he talking about? Why doesn't he clean up his own act before he tells people whether they can put criminals to death or not? That's not very loving of you, Your Excellency. <laughs> well, it's, it's it, he's running a, a, a naturalistic humanitarian organization. That's the only way I could put it. You know, he, he is trying to replace whatever's left of Christianity in that building in Rome with, a, a, with just humanitarian, liberal, leftist agenda. That's all. Well, that's why Teresa of Calcutta is such a perfect uh, person for him. Yes, yes, yes. Father Disposito, what did you think of, of this quote from the video? There is no fitting punishment without hope. 
punishment for its own sake without room for hope is a form of torture, not of punishment? Well, I think, uh, well, first of all, just uh, this is so obvious when you study just the catechism and the fifth commandment. Uh, the priest is supposed to explain there that, that the, the, the exceptions and how to understand the fifth commandment. But I think he's maybe he's afraid because this uh, good quote of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, if forgers and malefactors are put to death by, secular, by the secular power, there is much more reason for excommunicating and even putting to death one convicted of heresy. So maybe he is a little um, afraid that uh, death penalty was uh, also for those who share his ideas. But... Uh, but as Bishop Samuel says, it's so obvious that for for the modernist, this life is like everything, and uh, and of course, uh, they they will use any anything which sounds supernatural in order to uh, get some point or get some doctrine of their their agenda of man is the center, life is is sacred in in the, in the modernistic modernistic sense. And that you, everything is about this life and about man. So the next life and God do not count at all. What about killing in self-defense? Why isn't that against the fifth commandment? Uh, you know, what about war, killing in war? Why isn't that against the fifth commandment? Maybe they say it would be. Also, you know, he's against life imprisonment. He says you have to let them out in order that they can redo the crimes that they committed before. He doesn't say that, but but most of them do do. Don't, don't give him any ideas, Your Excellency. He might he, he might start a new dicastery. Yeah. The the but he's against life imprisonment. Uh, that that's just too much, and you know most of those people recommit their crimes when they get out. Relatively few of them are reformed. And they, they go and, and rape somebody else or murder somebody else or, you know, these pedophiles and all. They go out and do the same thing when they're let out. And, and, and people have to suffer for that. I mean, and why should a, a nation, like if somebody commits a crime when he's 21 years old, are we going to support him until he's 80? You know, the, the, it's a wonderful deterrent against crime, the death penalty. Uh, all those criminals absolutely detested and are in, in fear of it, and and uh, it, it it is absolutely legitimate to use it according to the common teaching of the Catholic Church. Well, I think we've had plenty of Francis for today, Your Excellency. I, I have two other items, and then we'll we'll finish out our episode. The first is regarding Ratzinger. I'm going to read you this quote from La Repubblica from August the 24th. In particular, the date for World Youth Day had already been set, which was to take place in the summer of 2013 in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Now, in this regard, I had two very specific convictions. After the experience of the trip to Mexico and Cuba, I had the feeling I wouldn't be able to take such a demanding journey. In addition to this, the setup of World Youth Day given by John Paul II made the physical presence of the Pope essential. Setting up a live streaming link or using some other technological means was unthinkable. This was another issue that made the resignation a duty for me. Now, is he being serious? Uh, and, or if he's not, what do, you, what do you think the real reason is for giving a quote like this uh, three years later? 
I think it's entirely believable. I mean, I'm, that may not be the expected response, but uh, I do. I, I think that certainly that was a motive in his resignation, that he was just getting too old. And believe me, when I fly around, and I'm only 66, he, he's in his 80s, uh, I know how it feels. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, uh, I think it's entirely believable what he's saying, that this job is just too much for me and a, somebody else that has more energy should take it over. Um, uh, I, I don't... I, I, I reject the idea that, that somehow he was Mr. Conservative, obviously, and that the liberals had to get rid of him. Uh, I uh, or that he wasn't going fast uh, fast enough. I, I don't I don't accept that at all. Uh, the um, uh, uh, first of all, you can only believe or think what you have evidence for. So all of that speculation to me is worthless about why he resigned. And I think that this is, is at least a a legitimate reason to resign. Yes, that I'm I'm just too weak to to accomplish all of these things. I mean, these Novus Ordo so-called popes have to uh, be, you know, movie stars now. It used to be the pope would stay in Rome and he would sign documents and, you know, he didn't go anyplace. And now they have to jet all over the place and, and be rock stars and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, that that's very, <laughs> I just remember that trip that we did in July. <laughs> it took me three days to get over that trip. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's very hectic for those people, you know, and, uh, uh, but that's the way they're trying to save their failed, uh, new Christianity. And that is uh, going to these various, uh, places and waving hello to all of these screaming people and all. And they think that that is building it up and really it isn't at all. The last news item we want to talk about today is there is going to be a John Paul I museum. I mean... You can't make this up. Uh, it's going to open. He he was he was a quote unquote pope for thirty three days, and uh, this actually around this time back in nineteen seventy eight he was elect so called elected on August the twenty sixth, nineteen seventy eight, and there is going to be a museum for this guy. Uh, what what do you think, Your Excellency? Well, you know, I'm just glad it isn't a library. Uh, I, I wonder if they'll have the uh, the birth control pills that he recommended people take as part of one of the exhibits. When he was a cardinal, he was in favor of artificial birth control. So, uh, no, it's just an absurdity. I mean, why should we even think about this? It's just so absurd that, we, you know, it should just be trashed from our brains. Well, I mean, he certainly won't have a tiara or a sedia gestatoria in the museum because he was the first one to get rid of it. It wasn't actually JP2. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He used the sedia gestatoria and that raised a big eyebrow. Uh, and uh, I mean, if there was a, a possibility of have, his having been done in for being maybe a little bit too conservative or something, uh, that that may be it. But he wasn't really conservative at all. But uh, he did use the sedia gestatoria. I do think he spurned the tiara, though. I do think he spurned that. He 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 wouldn't be crowned with the tiara. He didn't use we. 
uh, when when he was speaking. And I think you're right, Your Excellency. He, but he was persuaded to use this idea. He actually originally re- didn't want to use it, and then he was persuaded to use it. Yes, he's the one that also said, and I remember it very clearly, that the church was wrong about religious liberty, meaning that the church in the past, in pre-Vatican II, was wrong about religious liberty. And it could very well be that he was motormouth. And it could very well be that's why they got rid of him. Don't forget, this was when Vatican II was still able to be overturned uh, in many people's minds. And he may have just been the wrong person at the time. That if he were motormouth about saying that there's rupture, uh, then he could have caused a lot of problems. You know, whether he was poisoned or not, who knows? It's certainly not impossible. Uh, it, the, the circumstances of his death are very, very suspicious. And as I have always said, the most suspicious thing is that anybody was moving around in Rome at 5 a.m. Uh, because the undertakers came at 5 a.m. Un- the undertakers would have been in bed uh, sleeping at 5 a.m., and, and that Cardinal Vio just was, you know, walking through the Vatican hallways at three or four in the morning. You know, I just don't believe it. And just happened to knock on the Holy Father's door. And lo and behold, there he is, dead in his bed. I find that hard to believe that Cardinal Vio is, is strolling around the Vatican hallways at that time and that he called the undertakers at 5 a.m. I find that very hard to believe. Well, I'm sure he was chatting with Malachi Martin or something about the third secret of Fatima. And then, uh, you know, they, they just decided to go check on the, the Holy Father and see what was going on. Uh, that, that might be an episode for another time, Your Excellency. I mean, JP1, that, that whole Vatican Bank thing, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire, I think. Yeah, it's all speculation, though, and I hate speculation, especially historical speculation. Just give me the facts, you know, and if there's no facts, then we're talking through our hats. Would you would you at least concede that there is some suspicion there, Your Excellency? Yes, I mean, but it's like Kennedy, how many thousands of motives would you have to shoot the president? And how many thousands of motives would there be to poison a, uh, a pope, quote unquote? You know, which one are you going to take? That's why I say it's, it's you know, you can suspect all you want, but you'll never get any place with it. Father Disposito, do you want to add anything before we finish today's episode? No, but just, just things that everybody knows, that he was similar to Francis in many, many respects. Uh, I just saw that uh, there was a book, uh, uh, The Name of God is Mercy, about uh, John, John Paul I. So, I mean, he... And also, the he dropped the we that this article is he dropped the we the uh, for just the, the personal I uh, the uh, for the documents things like that. But just uh, I don't know. Again, this is very strange that he died so soon. Who knows why they if they kill him? And the, 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 what is true is is that. No matter what happened, I mean, doesn't matter what happened. What is true is that he was just another modernist, and and the sometimes people pay too much attention to the details or to things like this or why Ratzinger resigned, why was killed JP one, uh, but they miss the whole point about Vatican two and and that the fact that we don't have a pope since 1958. So that's much more important. 
Well, uh, as always, Your Excellency and Father, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, what's going on at the seminary. Well, there's a lot of preparation going on for the new year where we're going to have a full house. And actually more than full house, we have to have an annex to... Uh, uh, two will be over at an annex uh, close to us. And uh, so it's a lot of work. It's getting courses ready, getting all the books in and uh, everything that's necessary for operating both a hotel and a school. So uh, it's a lot. Believe it, I mean, it's a tiny institution, but there's a lot of work. Uh, Father, what, uh, what courses will you be teaching this year? Um, I will teach in moral theology um, and s some special... Uh, courses uh, on the new theology and Vatican II and continuing also another special course about the uh, magisterium of the, of the church. And I think that's it. I was going to teach Mariology, but I think that's not the case anymore. So that's it. Uh, and Your Excellency, are you continuing with church history this uh, semester? Yes, I am. Uh, and I have the bills to pay yet, too. The The exchange with Father Disposito was that he would pay the bills and I would take church history. But now the bills have come back to me and I still have church history. So uh, so I'm doing church history and de ecclesia, which means ecclesiology, the, the theology of the church, and which is very, very important, as I was pointing out to the seminarians who are here today. Uh, the... Uh, traditionalists don't fight over the omnipotence of God or the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary or anything like that. They fight over the church. And so they, the tract on the church is very, very important for them to uh, respond to naysayers and to, to those who challenge us on our positions. But, you know, we, we don't fight with SSPX over, you know, the nine choirs of angels. <laughs> So, uh, so it's a very, very, very important course, and I, I, I'm taking a lot of time in it. I think it's six or seven hours a week, which is unheard of. Uh, so, uh, um, so anyway, that that's uh, what's what we're doing right now. So the seminarians that are there a week early get to uh, help with the preparation. Uh, yes, they 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 are very privileged. Very. Pri privileged cat, uh, class of people who, who are practically enslaved <laughs> to help with the preparations. It's an awful lot of work. And our Belgian seminarian came over early thinking that he would have probably some leisure time to get ready for the school year. Well, he found out that things are quite different. And uh, so... So we just have two here right now, but others are coming in uh, in a few days. And they're gradually coming in little by little. Well, it sounds good. And obviously all of our prayers here are for a successful school year, especially with uh, you being full to the rafters and then some. Yes, yes. As we close out this episode, uh, we have covered uh, various uh, episodes of Francis in the month of August, most particularly the so-called canonization of Teresa of Calcutta. Um we want, we want to thank His Excellency and Father for, for joining us uh, today. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions with an S at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. 
All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.